Hello everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and welcome to The Ziggler Show. In this episode, what would you ask Zig part two? Continuing from episode 790 and the question I asked Ziggler listeners, if you could have a one hour consultation with Zig Ziggler, what area of life or business would you get his advice on? To just get through the very relevant responses, it took Tom Ziggler and I nearly two hours of just discussing through them. And what came out was very much a best of Zig Ziggler and the Ziggler legacy. Due to the length, we cut it into two shows. And in this episode, we've got more regarding Zig Ziggler and issues around faith and sales and relationships and working with family and regrets and self-image and more. You're going to get much of the ethos that made Zig Ziggler a near household name and touched over 250 million lives and growing with his message of hope and, of course, inspiring your true performance. So we'll get started right after I share some great products and services with you. Tim uh, asks, he said, I would like to get to know Zig as a person uh, and how to develop a successful sales team. Uh, this show is The Ziggler Show. Zig, that was where he made his first claim to fame was in sales. And I have been looking just at the show content lately, and I, I don't spend as much time on sales as I think that we could to help so many people out there. Because as we often do say, uh, as we repeat Zig, that everybody is in sales. I like to word, use the word influence. Everybody wants to influence. If you're a parent, you want to influence your kids in a positive way. That's sales. It's no different. The dynamics are the same. So sales, I mean, that is, talk about a source for people that Ziggler has. Now, of course, Zig has Secrets of Closing the Sale, one of the best selling, if not the best selling sales book of all time. Uh, and that's the one where you know Seth Godin is famous for saying, I listened to this to the tape of that 72 times or something till it broke and I had to go buy a whole nother set of, uh, of tapes. But that is a book. Again, you go to Ziggler.com and go buy Secrets of Closing the Sale. That is a book for life. It's not just for sales, but it's for having influence. If you want influence, go read that. Now, there are also other, you guys have events and things happening you know, every week, every month, I don't know how often that are specifically on business and also on sales. If you want to speak to that while well, I go get a glass of water so I can continue talking. Go, Tom. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, we have all kinds of uh, stuff at, at Ziggler. Uh, we do the, the best way to, to, to find us if you haven't found us yet is just to go to Ziggler.com and get on our newsletter list. It's free. Uh, we'll send you some gifts. And we do things and we support uh, trainers and coaches and speakers. Uh, we do corporate training. We do sales training. We do all different things. And so by going to Ziggler, uh, you will find that uh, they're ready for you. You know, when I think of, of sales, there's a, there's a, um, one of my hobbies was to a couple of years ago, I really studied it more than a hobby, more of a study, uh, you know, what words really mean in Hebrew. And in that kind of uh, quest, I found out that there was a word for sale in Hebrew. Hmm. And, and what it really means is that you, the words, it's a very high moral word. And it says, when you sell something, what you're really doing is you're looking into the future of that person and you're, you are anticipating a pain or a problem they'll have and you're offering them a solution to that before they have that pain or that problem. Hmm. And think about that. That is an extremely, um, I mean, that's like, from a moral perspective, I mean, that's like being a doctor or a minister or a rabbi, <laughs> you know, dispensing wisdom. Hey, you need to take this advice because if you don't, it's going to hurt you, right? You're going you're gonna to suffer the consequences. And so... That's the way dad looked at, at sales. He would, whatever business you're in, if you have a product or service that solves a problem and has more value than cost in it, then you need to feel great about offering that to other people because what you're doing is you're preventing them from a pain that they could have avoided. And so that's kind of the foundation. We also talk a lot about in, in selling, it's selling is serving, right? Yeah. It's, it's understanding someone's need. And the motive is the key. You're doing it for their benefit, not your own. So that's a, that's a little, you know, we could go on and on. And here's the interesting thing. 
and this is more background on, on kind of dad's history, because a lot of people will say, golly, you know, how did Zig Ziglar get started as a motivational speaker? How did he become who he's known for? Well, he started off in sales, right? And he became very successful in selling. And then the leaders in those organizations said, hey, can you train our salespeople? And so he would start training the salespeople on how to do what he did. And he learned very quickly that technique is important because everybody, everybody's got to have good sales technique, but that wasn't the game changer. The game changer was the principles and the values in which you did your business and the character qualities of how you lived your life. And so that's how he transitioned from primarily sales focused to primarily personal development focused. And so if we are the right, it's like this, if I'm hiring somebody for my business, bring me the right kind of person, character wise, integrity wise, work ethic wise, love for other people wise, bring me that person who's coachable and I'll, I'm happy all day long. If they can yeah. learn it and they're coachable and they got that, that's awesome. Bring me somebody who has got the highest level of skill, but no character, no trust, no integrity, you know, keep them away because it's going to end badly. Yeah. Well, so two things, you know, for there, for you, Tim and anyone listening. Yeah. If you want help with sales, go to Ziggler, uh, go to Ziggler.com. And if you obviously, you know, the book secrets of closing sales there, if you don't see an event, uh, that's happening, uh, just contact them and say, look, I'm looking for some sales help. What do you guys have to offer right now? And they'll help you with a resource that fits where you're, where you're at um, and where your budget is and, and whatnot. Please do that. I, I did want to point out too, though, you just saying that that's where Zig got his start is sales. I like the analogy, the example, I should say, of he gained mastery because we had a show not long ago on on, on you know where, where have you mastered or you, where do you have mastery now it doesn't mean you've mastered it but where do you have some level of mastery and i think everybody has some level they need to know that we I, the show got really good reviews on that you guys can find that uh it wasn't that long ago he he had mastery in sales and he took that because of that, he got a stage in essence he got influence over people and then he was able to take that and as you said, grow into personal development, his faith, all kinds of things because of that area that those people, I, I th tend to think of people who are interested in life coaching, but life is pretty broad. That's a big subject to say I'm a life coach that I see the people who I see have the most traction with life coaching are people who are known for a specific area. My dad, Dan Miller, he is known as the 48 days of the work you love guy, the career guy. And so people come to him for career advice, business advice, period. But he's one of the most prolific life coaches I know, because how can he help them in one area without helping them in all? So just a call out there as you hear that about Zig, that whatever area you have, even though you want to help people at a big level, at a deep level, you want to help them in a wide level, whatever, uh, being known for an area where you have mastery in is worth its weight in gold. Speaking of something worth its weight in gold, here's a uh, very Zigglerific subject. Kendall, he says, I think I would just want his advice on how to find clarity on my goals. I mean, in the world of personal and business development, is there any word that's talked about more than goals? Probably not. And yet the average person, even the aspiring people listening to this show, uh, that is generally an area where they're still Goals aren't written down. They're not clarified. They're not walked through. Again, talk, actually, we should do, it's been a long time since we've done a show on just goals. So we won't do that on this one. But again, as far as a resource on goals, I don't know if there's a name known, a brand known more than Ziggler. And right now, yeah, go ahead. Just to tell people that if you want help with goals, go to Ziggler.com. Give them a couple of the resources. Yeah, when you go to Ziggler.com, we have the performance planner, which is actually the step-by-step -step guide. I've got one <laughs> right here on my desk, uh, but it looks like this, and it's a, it's a workbook. I mean, and it gives you the instructions in the very beginning of how to set and reach your goals. It gives you everything you need. The reality is, is that we, we have to ask a lot of questions of ourselves. Who is it that we want to become? What do we want to do? What are the things in life we want to achieve? What drives us? What are we skilled in? Uh, what gives us energy? And so 
the performance planner actually has about the first 15, 20 pages asking all those questions of you. And then once you identify, okay, that's a goal I want. You know, I want to lose that weight. I want to get that lake house. I want to start that business, whatever it is. Then it takes you through the filtering questions to make sure it really is your goal. Uh, we do that uh, there. There's also the series, the audio program called How to Stay Motivated. And one of the albums in that series is all about goal setting. Uh, and so just a, just a ton of resources there. And here's something that's kind of uh, one of the, you know, kind of the better things that's happening right now in the world is, is people are, they're having time to think. I mean, Kevin, I don't know how many conversations you've had. I've had a ton of them one-on-one uh, -on -one or on a Zoom call or on a phone call where, where people have just had a time to slow down and say, wait a second, there's more to life than the rat race. Uh, what's, you know, what is it that I'm best at? Why am I here? How can I make the biggest contribution? What's going to, what's, you know, what's going to keep me going? And so that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. and, and in the goal setting process, we kind of give questions on how to work through that. Uh, the book Choose to Win also that came out last year uh, goes through that, you know, kind of just, you know, it starts with why. Uh, because if your goal is not supported by your why, the chances are you could get derailed with it, you know, from it pretty quickly. Yeah, well, and it, you know this this uh, show seven ninety starts off with Zig a short clip talking again about most people want to be happy, healthy, reasonably prosperous, secure, have friends, peace of mind, good family relationships, and hope. I mean, those are all areas of goal. But then, yeah, going to choose the win in our habits show. That's where we go through those seven spokes on the Ziggler Wheel of Life: physical and physical, you know, family and friends, relationships, mental, financial, spiritual, career, personal. Those are those areas, and the go through and just do an audit. And if you're overwhelmed by goals, just to look at, you know, what, what do you want? Do you want anything? And I think the bigger problem that we see more and more in our culture is people are not clear on what they even want. All right. Big topic there, Steve, this is, you'll appreciate this. Steve Rosen, you know, Steve, he said what he would ask Zig Ziglar is work necessary for lifelong fulfillment. Can I be truly happy retired? or is serving others part of what I'm here to do and this finding and this finding thus finding deeper living and meaning in life is there really true freedom to just enjoy being able to goof off and pretty much do what I want or is work/service much uh, much more important like vitamins that nourish my soul that's a question that's a big question yeah I like it. Well, and so for context there, Steve was career military, I think 20 years, uh, retired. He's a, got into fitness and wellness because he, he needed to increase his own personal wellness and began, began doing uh, fitness boot camps and leading groups of people. And he did that. And I think he, uh, uh, you know, maybe wore himself out a little bit on, on that and then just kind of fully retired for a while. And so now he's been having fun just, just doing that, just doing whatever he wants to. But I've seen him coming back in and kind of vacillating be, 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 uh, between that and, you know, just the retired thing and wanting to impart back to that, wanting to impart something uh, to people. And I think it's a great question. And it obviously, you know, gets into the aspect of retirement. I'll say this, Tom, I don't generally see the most fulfilled, vibrant people as those who quit work and now just went to goof off for a while. They often will find themselves coming back wanting to be of use somewhere, whether they need the money or not. That's just, again, my, my, there's always exceptions, but by far and large, that's my experience. And I know Zig said he would never retire. I, it's what my dad says. I, I can't imagine. I, I just, uh, I got too many things I want to impart, too many things I want to do. Uh, and I, and yeah, I, I can't imagine being goofing off all day, but that's, it's a, it's a valid question. You know, um, I think I read, or dad used to say all the time, and he, he, he might not say it on the big stage. He would say it at Sunday school, or he would say it in conversations, or when people asked him a question, they would ask, are you going to retire? And he would say, no, I'm not going to retire. Retirement is never mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. Right. And so I heard that for years. 
And then I heard my uh, mentor and friend, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, talking about that. And he said uh, in that in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, there's no word for retirement and there's no word for vacation. Hmm. Which both are real interesting. So when he said, well, here's why, here's the spiritual foundation of why, is they both connotate that the world is now there to serve you. Right? Interesting. Now, sabbatical and getting refueled and everything else, that's everywhere, right? Take the Sabbath off. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. And so I think it's a spiritual concept. And so... Uh, do you have to have a, a, a nine to five paying job to serve? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. And so my question is, is that, you know, we're all here. I believe uh, that we're all here for a purpose, created for a purpose. And there are some people out there waiting for us to come to them and serve them in some way to lift them up, to lift their burden. Uh, and how you define that, I don't think it has to be in the context of, well, you know, I, I work for XYZ Corp. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and most people who take the time off and enjoy life, they get antsy. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's got to be a spiritual purpose out of it. Uh, there's also the realization that, hey, sometimes we got to go out and and prepare for that next stage, you know, develop ourselves and, and, and do that. That's fine, too. But the, the connotation isn't, okay, world, serve me. <laughs> The connotation is, hey, I'm working on myself and those I love so that, uh, like the quote, you know, expect the best, prepare for the worst, maximize what comes. So that when my opportunity to help somebody else comes along, I'm ready. And if I think that's if our if that's our attitude, I think we're going to be in a good position. You are listening to The Ziggler Show in our part two episode on what would you ask Zig Ziggler. Next, we discuss where do people most find purpose? We'll jump right back in after I share some great products and services with you. Well, you mentioned the word purpose and in my life, it's been very similar to yours, Tom. Most of it's been spent in personal development, in self-help, in personal growth. Uh, I when I see people who are, again, back to however you define success, but if we say people who have great purpose and great personal fulfillment, I find that it generally comes at the end of, or at the hand of serving other people, being worthwhile. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we all want to be, I want to matter. I want to have served uh, people well and to find purpose outside of that, uh, I, I don't I don't see it that much. I don't see it that often. So to Steve's question now again, but you don't have to judge. What does that mean? Is there a certain number? Can you just matter to one person? Does it need to be a thousand people? That's going to come to you, um, you know, in a unique way. But yeah, we want to have something to impart to others. There's there's two uh, side stories on this that I think could give some relevance. Okay. Uh, Howard Partridge is our business partner, and we do a lot of of, uh, work with small business owners. Mm -hmm. We help these small business owners to systemize their business. And we we tell them real simply, hey, look, you know, why don't you make your business turnkey so that you don't have to work uh, in the business, right? It's it's running smooth. It's it's got systems in place. And then you have the option. Uh, You can keep it or you can sell it. And then the underlining thing that we, we teach along the way is, golly, just imagine when you get your business running right, it's the perfect legacy intentional gift that you can leave to your family or to those who want to carry on the business, either your team who you've helped grow or somebody you, you, know, you, you sell it to. And so the whole idea of, of that business thing isn't, hey, I want to hit the jackpot someday. I want to I want to, you know, make, you know, win the lottery and sell my business for a lot and go live on an island. No, it's got a deeper, bigger purpose than that. That might be part of the package, but what you're really doing is creating that environment to help others. Uh, the other story that just popped up on this is, you know, I was thinking about grandparents and, you know, so grandparents may be in their 70s, they're retired. Uh, is their life over? No, they can, they can actually have the most impact ever. Why? Because they've got this 
lifetime of wisdom and they have the time to pour into their grandkids, yeah. which, you know, Mark Tim with Ziegler family, he tells the story of his grandfather and, and I'll do it quick, but he said when he was growing up, he and his grandfather would go fishing and he said, Mark said, I was the best fisherman ever. I would catch, you know, 10, 20, 30 fish and my grandfather never kept, caught any. And every time we go fishing, I'd be like, Grandpa, how come I caught so many? And my, he said, my grandfather would say, because you're the best fisherman ever. And then he got to a certain age. I don't know if it was 10, 11, 12. And, uh, you know, he hooked up his line and he threw it in. And then he watched his grandfather do the same thing. And when his grandfather threw the, the bobber and the hook in, he noticed that his grandfather didn't put any bait on the hook. Hmm. And so all this time... He thought that he and his grandfather were fishing together. And then he realized, no, my, my grandfather wasn't fishing for fish. He was fishing for me. That's, right. Yeah. And if that's not purpose, uh, <laughs> if that's not serving, I don't know what is. Here's an interesting one. Sean simply asked how to find the confidence to step outside of my comfort zone pretty basic question but as i thought about that you know there's a stigma with stepping out of my comfort zone i started thinking about myself how often do i step outside of my comfort zone um and i almost wondered there's a time for that but does there as i'm pondering myself is there a time when i'm not it's it's hard for me to be out of my comfort zone it's harder for me now to be uncomfortable from having tried so much, having done so many things. I mean, that's a that's a definition of entrepreneurs. Uh, a guy named Patrick, no, that's not Patrick Lencioni, who, who uh, wrote the Medici effect. Uh, Johansson uh, wrote the Medici effect, and he talked about, he finds that entrepreneurs aren't necessarily more brilliant or amazing than anybody else. They're just willing to try more things, and they get used to that. And so I'm literally pondering the question myself, Tom, do I, have I, am I not stepping out of my comfort zone much as I'm thinking of new experiences and new things that I do? I think I'm just more comfortable with, uh, being uncomfortable. It doesn't bother me as much, but I mean, there is a time. I mean, people who are in, if you feel like you are in a rut, if you feel like you are, you know, minimized, not doing what you need to do, it generally is going to, you're going to go need to try some things and it's probably going to be outside of a comfort zone. So how do you find the confidence to do that? And to me, it feels like a self-image issue, Tom. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we've we've been talking about lately is kind of the difference between a a manager style and a coach yeah, style. Yeah. Okay. And a manager is interested in results. And so what happens is if if we manage ourselves, then what we want is results and when we step out of our comfort zone, the results aren't going to be good in the beginning. And this is a Zig Ziglar quote, and this is, if he were here, this is what he would tell you. Anything worth doing yeah. is worth doing poorly until you learn to do it well. And so the question is, what is it that I want to accomplish? Is it worth doing? And if the answer is yes, like if you look down the road and say, Hey, if I, if I raise my ability, my, my, my skill, my aptitude in that area, what would the results be for me and my family, my business, those I love? And if you can see that increasing, then anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until you learn to do it well. So then yeah. you've got to have the grace to say, you know what? It's not going to go perfect the first time. So the manager style is, resu is results focused. And when we learn something new, we don't get good results. But then the coach style, which is something that we really believe in, is this. A coach is focused on growth. And so I would just encourage you to look at every area of your life and say, what do you want to grow into? Yeah. And growth always happens around stress and pressure and tension and resistance. If we want to grow our muscles, we got to lift weights to burn them up, to break them down so they grow back stronger. If we want our bones to be stronger, we got to put weight on them and put them under pressure 
so that they get stronger. And so if we want our family to be stronger, to grow, then we might have to sit around the table and interrupt the status quo and say, you know, maybe it's not a good idea that we all go to separate rooms and get on social media separately. You know, maybe we need to have family night or dinner together. Well, guess what's going to happen? That's not the comfort zone. So you're going to get friction, right? Yeah. Because your 10 year old, your 14 year old, your 17 year old are all going to have pretty strong opinions about that. But will you grow if a, as a family if you do that? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yeah, and I'm thinking about that as I talk about myself not thinking I'm uncomfortable that often. Relationships is still, I know a lot of guys who are all vim and vigor until it comes to the relationships in their lives and the intimacy and then uh, sometimes not the most confident of, of guys, I fall into that sometimes as well. It's not always my greatest area to be uncomfortable. Uh, here is from my dear dad, Dan Miller. And uh, he, you know, is a lifetime Ziggler fan. It's the reason I know of Zig Ziggler. And he said, I would simply ask Zig, to what do you attribute your success? And I read that and my first thought would be Zig saying his faith in God. And Tom, I'll let you you know, respond because, but my first thought to that was, boy, I know, I know, I know a good number of people I have, and I do who I believe they really have a strong, devoted, deep, true faith in God who also struggle with having any great areas of success in their lives. And so to come back and, you know, to ponder that, to go, what would he say from a personal nature? Would he attribute his success to Tom? Well, I'm just going to quote him. Uh, he said his number one reason for his success was his character and integrity. Huh. And his number two reason for success was persistent consistency, which is the Ziegler definition of work ethic. So consistency means that if you have a worthwhile goal or objective, you do it every day or as often as necessary. Mm -hmm. Persistency means that when you do it, you take it up a notch, right? You elevate it. You go a little bit extra. You get outside of the comfort zone, right? You, yeah. you expand on it. You force yourself to grow. Uh, and I would say that the root of all that came from his, his, his faith in God. Okay. Uh, so yeah, his faith in God was extremely, extremely strong. Uh, but I think it's interesting that even dad said, hey, it was it was my character and integrity and my my work ethic. Hey, I'm I'm successful the way everybody because I worked really hard at it and I did it with integrity. Well, to look at that, though, if you take in, why do you do that? Why have integrity? Uh, why work hard? Why persevere? Yeah, I look at that. There's so many things in my life that I do not understand. We have these conversations a lot as a family, as you're talking about sitting around the, the table and talking in depth of going, I, I, I literally, so it'll be my admission as a father, my sharing, my admission say, guys, I don't understand life outside of my faith. I don't understand the reason to be faithful, to work hard, to have integrity outside of my faith. If I didn't have it, I, it would be about me. Just serve me, take what I want, take what I can get. Um, it would be the reason, but I appreciate that. So that's how he walked out his faith. And I would say the same thing. That's what gives me the reason, the desire to have integrity, to do the right thing when nobody's looking, to work hard. Uh, uh, it is because of, of my faith. Man, it's a great question. It really is. Um, here you go. You'll like this one, Tom. Renee says, she would ask, what's your advice on building a successful, respectful, and romantic relationship? It may seem odd, but he was such a people person and so genuine. I would love to know what he had to say about personal relationships. He had a lot to say, didn't he? <laughs> he, and, he and the redhead and the, the discussions around that. But he had, he's got plenty of, there's plenty of audio content on marriage and on romance, even on sex from Zig Ziglar. I haven't played it on the show, Tom. 
but you know it's out there. It's uh, maybe it's it's uh, been hidden for too long. Yeah, bring it out. Uh, two two programs on family, raising positive kids in a negative world, mm-hmm. and courtship after marriage. Mm-hmm. And I'll just I'll just uh, tell a story. You know, back in the day when Dad would speak on stage, uh, and this is before technology was really big. They had this thing called an Elmo, and an Elmo was one of those projectors where you would have a piece of paper on the, on the oh, screen right, right, right. and the, 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 the mirror would look at it and it would project it up on the big screen. And he would talk about uh, faith and family. And he would say that those who went to church, synagogue, or I think even uh, mosque uh, reported that they had a better sex life. <laughs> so, <laughs> so think about that. I mean, it's just he 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 and, he and every time he would say it, he would start laughing to himself because, you know, here is Zig Ziglar on a stage with 10,000 people in the room and he's talking about sex and he's talking about the benefit of of having a strong faith because yeah. it enhances everything in your life that you do. Uh, Dad get get those get those books or get those audio programs yeah. raising positive kids and uh, uh courtship after marriage well in that one so i'll go back but i do not remember when we first met the first time that i came down to ziggler headquarters and spoke for success 2.0 and i got to spend a day with you and with uh with zig it was it was a long time ago obviously it was a couple years what, what year did he die 2012 it might have been 2010 and I came down. So that was That's after after his fall and back when he would uh, he would repeat himself a lot. And I just was so blessed throughout the day as he would take a question, take a topic, and he would enter into it intelligently and then veer it the way that he wanted to go. And <laughs> the amount of times during that day that he said, talking about divorce, that what would happen to the divorce rate if people would simply court each other after marriage like they did before marriage. He repeated it over and over. It impacted me, Tom, to think that that's, that's one of the threads that he would constantly fall back on. And I thought about it. I talked about it with my wife. What are the things that we did before we married that we don't do now? And I, and I will testify on that, that romance, as Renee said, is a significant part of my now 27 year marriage. And, and, you know, again, to, to each his own for everybody, but on that one, that was part of courting. Uh, and we, it's one of the pillars of our marriage. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for his talk on that. So yeah, again, go to Ziggler.com and hit the, what, you know, the, the online, um, uh, what is it? The online shop products. Yeah, just online, our Ziegler online store. Online store, Kev, thank you. And Kevin, there was a quote that he would talk about uh, that was kind of, it was the same idea, but it was unrelated. And the quote was, are you happy because you sing or do you sing because you're happy? Hmm. And the answer is yes, right? If, if, if we start singing, we'll, we'll get happier. And if we're happy, we're more likely to sing. And so, you know, do you, do you have romance because you're in love? Right. Yeah. I I mean, or do you have love because you do, you, you take care of the romance? Yeah. Well, are you in love because you court it, you court, or do you court because you're in love? And the answer is real simple. If you want to deepen your love, deepen your courtship, do, do the things to tell someone, Hey, I love you. I care about you. I know you could do this for yourself, but I'm going to help you out and do it anyway, right? Because you're special. You're unique. There's nobody in the world like you to me. So I'm going to do these things. So for those who want a little bit of romance in their life, just do a three week test where each of you, uh, you do something extra for the other person because you love them and see what happens. And and to even know what does, this is kind of like the, five love languages that you can do that test and see what speaks love to you. We've done those, but then if your partner, uh, you know, says acts of service, 
to say, okay, what does that look like to you though? What are acts of service that look like that to you? In the same sense, romance, what does that look like to you is a relevant question to ask your spouse because romance may look different to you than to them, especially amongst men and women. It can often look a little different uh, and to, to know what that is and to know what those deposits are. That's the thing that resonates in my mind so much. What are the deposits? If I made a deposit today in this bucket, you know, for my wife, for my kids, back to the, to the kids and, and raising positive kids as well. Tom, we talked about this earlier and I didn't even catch that there was a response that hit it. Chris asks, I, I, uh, one question that I would ask is what would or could you have done differently? And he says, this is not to say I have any critique on anything uh, that Zig did, but looking back, would there be anything he would have done differently to reach more people or even have more impact? And that goes again. So we hit on that to some degree. We were talking about regrets, but saying, gosh, going back, is there, are there some things I would have done differently? So again, you were involved with your dad, you know, his entire or your entire life, but then in the latter years, well, for, gosh, for a long time, CEO of the company, while he was there, you guys did a lot of business stuff together. I know, I know some stories that, you know, things that you tried, invested a lot in that didn't go the right way, that didn't increase the impact or the reach. And so looking back, I would think, surely there's a few things that he said, gosh, yeah, I, I wish we hadn't done that. Or, man, we'd have known about X, Y, Z. That would have been a great opportunity. You know, I can think of a few things, uh, especially in, in relationship to uh, my sisters, hmm. where, where he would just say, you know, uh, because he, he didn't, his, you know, 1972 is when he became a, a Christian. Yeah. Um, a born again Christian. And so I was seven years old at the time uh, with my sister, Julie is almost 10 years older than me. She, she was almost 17. She might've been 17 at that time uh, when he became a Christian and she'd moved out of the house when she was 18. And so dad didn't have the foundation to have really uh, open, honest, frank discussions and what he really believed until they were already out of the house. Uh, and so I think, in the beginning of that, he wasn't as, hey, I need to talk to you, right? Hmm. He was, and so because of that, they didn't know what he thought or what he believed or, or anything. And, and so, and, and out of that came actions and decisions that, that might have been different. And so if he could change anything, uh, it, it would probably be acting, acting on his convictions. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Not with a different spirit, uh, but just with, with just the idea of, hey, I don't, I don't even know if they know what I really think about this, right? And how many, and this is, uh, you know, there, there's sins of commission and omission, right? Well, <laughs> what we do that's wrong and what we should have done that we didn't do. Yeah. And so I think most of his, what would he change is he, he probably looks, would look back and say, hey, there were things that I could have done more in. Uh, in, in, and I believed it that way, but I didn't let people know I believed in that. And what's interesting is the more he took a stand on things uh, in different areas, the more he was blessed Yeah. Uh, because what he was taking stands on was the truth. Mm -hmm. and, and so, but a lot of people, uh, because of their, their, their faith, their foundation, their background, the environment they're in, it's very difficult for people to stand up. And by the way, uh, I mean, today's social media and uh, climate makes it nearly impossible to stand up and say, this is what I believe <laughs> without, uh, without just immediate attack. Uh, so there, and there's, there's and there's few, there's less and less of that happening. There really is. I think it's scared people off to where now the main thing to stand for is to not stand for anything so that you don't offend or you're not narrow minded or yada, yada. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for that, Tom. Uh, Robert, here's one you can speak to, Tom. How to employ, he would ask, how to employ one's children in the family business for the good of both family and business. Uh, it reminded me of, I did, I had Ken Blanchard on the show quite a while ago. That, he's an outspoken personality on nepotism which is having your family involved in your business, advocating for your family. But you have, Tom, I mean, you guys have um, 
almost all worked in the business. I mean, you and Cindy and Julie do now have for decades, I think. And, uh, but I'm sure I know you've seen examples of it being stressful with other people. Maybe it was within you guys at some point. I don't know. That's a great one. Zig would be a good one to ask, but yeah, what's your insight on, on that? Wow. You know, and I actually studied this, uh, and I'll just give my own suggest my own experience. Okay. So I went to work, uh, right after college for the company. I started off in the warehouse and then into production. And the reason I was there is I was, uh, getting a little bit of money to support my golf habit. I wanted to be a professional golfer uh, and never got there. Uh, got good, but not that good. Turned into sales. And so one of the challenges that that I had is, is I didn't know if I was doing a good job or not. Hmm. Right? Because I'm the, the boss's son and I'm out there. And so... I think the people who managed me and directed me, I, I believe that their intention and their honesty was, was true, but there's always kind of that, that little bit of doubt. Are they yeah. telling me that uh, because I'm the boss's son, right? I mean, that's a real issue. So sure. if you're going to bring somebody into the family, uh, one of the things you got to do is you got to, you, you've got to have that preparation of who's coming in. Hey, you know what? We're going to hold you to a higher standard you're carrying on the family name and it's not going to be arbitrary, right? We're going to let you know, this is what excellence is called for. This is how you do it. This is how you carry yourself and you're going to screw up and that's okay. And we're going to tell you right away. Okay. So out of that, I developed a belief that when my daughter, Alexandra, who now works for us, she, she's worked for us for three years now, I really believed, Hey, wait a second. I want her to go work somewhere else before she comes to work for our company because I wanted her to have that truthful input. Well, then I started studying more. So this is, this is a process. And then I realized, wait a second, in, in, uh, in Jewish tradition, which is something I love to study, that's not the way it is at all. I mean, it's a given. You're going to work for the family. But here's the difference is the, the father or whoever is running that business, they take ownership of that right? They actually become into a mentor role and they do everything right. So it's actually fantastic that the child comes in. And I got really, really lucky because our partner, Howard Partridge, yeah. uh, just as Alexandra, a few months before she graduated, he, he said, uh, do you think, you know, Alexandra would like to work for me? And I said, wow, that'd be fantastic. Why don't you ask her? Of course, she, she jumped on it. And so now, my uh, my daughter is working in our business, reporting to a mentor of mine and a business partner. And it's like the answer to prayer. It's the yeah. best of both worlds. And I'll tell you that, uh, you know, as Alexandra's matured and she, she just does fantastic. Uh, and it's because of Howard's influence and direction. And there's a lot of maturity that happens when kids go into business. And it's different now than it was gosh, even 20 years ago, but especially 50 or 100 years ago. I mean, what is the emotional IQ age yeah. of a 22-year-old person today versus my dad who started working when he was six years old selling peanuts on the corner? Yeah. I mean, real life was real. I mean, there wasn't like, hey, you know what? Someday when you get through with school, if you decide to go to school or you decide to go through in six years, none of that was even a discussion. <laughs> it was, you got to go to work because we need to eat. And that is a different level of maturity. So yeah. for the business owners out there who are thinking about bringing your family in, and there's nothing better. Uh, I believe there's nothing better that you could do but you really need to get some wise counsel on how you're going to bring them in. What are the expectations? What are the guidelines? Uh, because you definitely don't want the reputation, whether it's earned or the perception that it's easier, they're getting a free ride, or they're not carrying their weight. Uh, family members got to carry way more than their weight. I mean, it's just the reality. The other thing that I would say to this and this is what we do when we work with business owners is we, we teach business owners how to systemize everything. And so here's a real rub. Okay. 
Um, so the founder has a way of doing something. And a child comes to work, and they've got different gifts and talents. I could never be Zig Ziglar, right? I don't have that gift or that talent. But I've got gifts and talents that dad didn't have. And so a lot of times a founder mentality is, hey, this is the way I do it. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way you need to do it. And the problem is, is you can't, you can't maximize your family's gifts and talents because they're all different. When you systemize a business and you know how every system runs and somebody, a, a family member or even uh, a team member comes and says, hey, what if we did this instead? What if we tried this? Because you already have the system and their comment is on the system, hey, let's tweak the system. It makes it real easy for everybody to give it a run, to give it a try. Hmm. Because I am not challenging my father or the manager or the owner's uh, opinion or the way they've always done it. Instead, I'm just saying, hey, what if we did this with the system? And so that allows for a much better relationship, a lot less friction in the family relationship. So yeah, bring them in, do it right, give them some advice. Uh, so I've learned from uh, Dave Ramsey on this. I've learned from Howard Partridge on this. I've learned from uh, Rabbi Lappin on this. I mean, there's a lot of places that you can learn, but you've yeah. got to know going in uh, that the expectations on everybody is going to be kind of weird. And I've also been around uh, business owners where the business is worth uh, hundreds of millions of dollars and it's now three generations in and the families are being torn apart mm. Yeah, because even though they had a successful business, uh, the, the expectations, the way we work together, uh, how do you, you know, do you get, do you get compensated based on your contribution, you know, versus your ownership, those kind of things, guys, you gotta, when you set it right from the beginning, it changes everything. Yeah. Um, just a lot of wisdom to go and get. Man, my my two, I love some what you laid out there on the systems, especially not a strong suit of mine, but in working with my kids, I've got a daughter who does some of the production for the podcast, and she's just about to step up in about two weeks to totally take it over. I'm going to have her take over a couple other roles as well. But I've realized the, the need for humility as a father uh, with her working her because she knows me as dad and over here now it's you know as boss in that aspect but she knows me she knows where i'm strong where i'm not and being able to uh it requires i would say it requires humility or maybe it doesn't but i sure benefit from that of of just being humble with her and she knows where i'm good where i'm not where i struggle and i we talk about that and say look honey i'm not good in this area i'm not a good manager so managing you is going to be difficult we're going to have to look for help you know outside of that uh, but the, the other one that sticks out to me tom is just being aware that just because you're a parent doesn't mean that you always gel with the personality of your kid. Now I get the benefit of having a lot of kids and I am very well aware. And so is my wife. Uh, and it's, it's at face value. It sounds difficult, but they're different. They're human beings with different personalities. It, it doesn't really make sense that we would gel perfectly with all of them. So there's some kids that man, she gets them and they get mom. And there are some that they get me uh, and, and I get them and they don't get mom. And, and, and realizing that, I mean, that's hard for any parent to go, gosh, I just, I struggle to connect with that kid. But it's just personalities are still personalities because you, you're a parent, you love them, you do everything that you can, but you are not always going to gel perfectly. And I have some kids who I don't know that I'll ever have them work for me. I don't know if it would be a good fit. I mean, we'll see as time goes on, you know, never say never, but boy, we'll have to realize that we, our personalities, I, I don't get you as much and you, they don't get me as much. I've got one son who, uh, well, Caleb, you know, Caleb, and, and he's candid and talking about this, man, I'm, I'm pretty much prone to, Hey, just go do that. There's a result I want, figure it out. And that's not his stick. He wants to know, well, how do you want it done? What are the steps to, to make sure, you know, that I, that I do it correctly and do it well. 
I don't know. Just go do it. I would do it this way, but it's probably not the best way. And that man, that's not his style at all. So we can talk about that. I'm grateful for that. Back to the humility in that. But, uh, you know, we'd have to be careful. I would probably, in, in all reality, uh, say, you know, there's some of my kids where I would need to have somebody else managing them to do it well because they need management. Um, not because we don't, you know, they can't handle any from me, but I don't do that well. I'm not a good manager. Good topic. Um, Tyson says, I'd ask Zig about priorities about family and work. And Tom, I know from you and you've talked about some of the differences maybe between Zig before he came to the Lord and afterwards. And, you know, you were younger by far. How much younger than, than your oldest sister were you? Nine and a half years. Nine and a half years. That's a big, I mean, you can become a different parent in that amount of time. Oh, yeah. And I've heard from you, you know, there were times when he was gone a lot. And, you know, balancing family and work seems like that was a significant issue that he dealt with. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, um, it wasn't uncommon at all for him to be gone two to four nights a week, hmm. uh, traveling on the road, speaking, doing events. Uh, he was an early riser. So, man, he would get up at five o'clock in the morning, start working. Uh, but when he was at home, I remember he, if, if, if he was there, he would always take me to school. He was always intentional with the time uh, that we had. We played a lot of golf together. And so it was more spurts, you know. I know, I know people who, they never leave town, but, you know, they leave before their kids get up in the morning and they get home at dinner time and, you know, kind of head off to do their own thing. And they, they would spend total a lot less time than I did uh, with, with my parents. Uh, with, with dad, especially with his schedule. And so I think the, the key is, is, you know, is your spouse your number one account, right? Is there, are they your number one priority? Do you walk that out? Do you demonstrate that? That sets the tone and the example for all the other relationships in there. And then you've got to, you know, what are the, what are the trade-offs, the sacrifices that you're going to make? It's a, it's a hard, hard thing. Uh, and I think right now, a lot of people are at home going, you know what? That trade I was making, it wasn't worth it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, and, and so do I need all that stuff? Do I need this go-go lifestyle? Or is all this family, all this relationship that's getting stronger and, and everything else, you know, is that a better trade for my time than all that energy putting into it? And here's what happens is when your why gets really clear, when you get really focused on why you're doing something, what it is you really want, then somehow, some way, I don't know, it's just like magic. I don't know. But when that becomes your driver, you tend to get a lot better at whatever your work is, whatever your drive is, and you can get more done in less time. Yeah. It's just, an, it's an amazing thing. Yep. Yeah, it is. You know, and, and I am I am reading these questions specifically that people put in there. I do want to just recognize so many, of course, effusive statements about the impact that Zig had in everybody's life. So sometimes they may have written four sentences, five sentences about the impact that they got. And I am skipping just for the the, the uh, a little brevity of the show to the questions, but just want to recognize the incredibly uh Blessed and beautiful statements that so many people said about Zig and the influence in their lives. Uh, Frank did a lot too, but I'm going to cut to his question. He says, how did Zig continue to bless others even when being attacked with a negative circumstance or situation? Tom, I wasn't privy to that. You saw him on stage in front of tens of thousands of people over and over and over. He was there. Uh, I mean, you can find negative reviews and comments on everyone. And I know that he got them. He got them for, you know, being a motivational speaker, for sharing his faith and whatnot. And again, we've talked about his strength of character uh, for his, his self-image, his faith in God. Was he ever bothered rattled any by the negative attacks you know from an app from let's just divide the attacks up um from people who didn't know him or outside sources uh i don't think it bothered him at all yeah you know i remember uh he got invited to a a, a prayer breakfast 
and it was a government i don't know if it was virginia or whatever it was their official state prayer breakfast and they said hey we want you to pray and you know speak and pray uh, at the prayer breakfast well he figures hey you know what they're inviting zig ziglar they know what i believe in <laughs> and so so it was a non-denominational event right well and it's government and so he shares his faith and so some of the people attacked him for mm. doing that and he's like i don't know it was a prayer breakfast they asked me to share about faith so i did uh and so it didn't phase him in the least amount whether it was warranted or unwarranted then the second type of attack would be uh, he would just he realized it had nothing to do with him and it was about the person right that was attacking yeah and that never phased him either uh in fact if anything he would become more concerned overly concerned for that person's well-being i saw him many times go above and beyond what he should have uh not because he was offended or upset that they had wronged him but because he felt so like like maybe they would listen to what he had to say because he was so sincere yeah uh the 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 third level and i won't call this an attack but more of a correction would be people in the inner circle would say hey you know you might you might want to do less of that or you might want to think about that well he'd take that real serious right mm-hmm. because he he knew that their heart was right um and so and so and then there's the let's just call it the difficult circumstance where it's really not attack it's just that life's pretty crummy right now uh what allowed him to pour into people so much is he knew his purpose and his purpose was to go out and to share a message that could change somebody's life. And so every time he spoke, he always wanted to be as pre- prepared as much as possible. He wanted to give the best speech he'd ever given. Because if he knew that he did those two things, then maybe just maybe somebody in that room would take what he said, apply it to their own life, and their life would be changed. Yeah. So that would allow him uh, just that focus and that belief even when he was going through a storm or a tragedy to be able to go out on the stage and do what he did because he knew that his purpose was bigger than him. His purpose was everybody in that room. And this is where uh, leaders and speakers and people from all different walks get into trouble is they think that the room is there for them instead of them being there for the room. Yeah. Right. As a leader, we're there for the people. They're not there for us. We're there for them. We're there to serve. And we're back to that topic that we've come back to so many times of integrity. I'm going to end on uh, a heartfelt sharing from, uh, from somebody, Merrill. He says, I would ask Zig, why do I care so much about how or what people think of me? I never thought I was that person, but you learn really quickly where you stand with rejection when you have to put yourself out there and sell ideas or products to people. I know there's a difference between caring about people and caring about what people think, but sometimes I have blurred that line my whole life and it really holds me back. We talked about sales a couple times, about influence, and that is a part of the Secrets of Closing the Sale uh, book is talking about rejection and what people think of you. Probably the primary handicap Achilles heel of sales is just that I think it's hard on anybody naturally to get rejection, especially if you believe in what you have, if you really believe that could help that person and to get rejected, to not take that personally is again, is, is, is different. And maybe that comes back to, you know, Zig saying, Hey, nobody's a, a natural born, just salesperson. It's something you learn. Well, rejection is a primary part of sales. And that's my experience, Tom. That is something I had to learn. It didn't feel good to begin with. And I don't know that ever would have if I didn't get teaching and training on how to deal with that well. And, and of course, we're always dealing with how we view ourselves, our, our own self-image, our own integrity, as we've talked about so often. So what a great question. Why do I care so much about how or what people think of me? There, we talked about it earlier. Yep. Um, you need to flip from a 
people value me because of my results, right? And that's, and so if, if they say no to the offer, <laughs> yeah. no to my proposal, they're saying no to me, right? Because I am my results, right? I am uh, the result of this and, and switch over to growth, okay? I'm, every day I'm gonna grow a little bit more. So this is what this is what this is what dad did when when he would come off stage and I would ask him and let's just say he had three standing ovations in a speech not uncommon at all right <laughs> and I would say how'd you do he never judged his performance by the reaction of the audience so I want you to hear that as a manager as a leader as a salesperson uh, we're going to get rejected, right? We're going to have people say, no, we're going to have to say, man, you missed the mark. Instead, this is how he judged what he did. Did I prepare as much as I could have? And did I speak the truth in love? And so if we're on a quest of growth to where I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to know everything about the client. I'm going to know the, everything about this team. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to prepare. And I do that. And then I go in and I give the best presentation I know how. Well, guess what I've just done? I've, I've honored my integrity uh, to give them the best that I have and everything else is outside of my control. What they do or say after that point is up to them. Yeah. And so then I can, I can take joy in the process. I can take joy in learning and being a professional and doing everything that I can. So do we have value because other people give us value or do we have value because of who we are? Right. That and I think that that's ultimately what it is. I, I do too. I love that. And I want people to hear that, that his guiding light in essence, his rudder was, did I prepare and did I speak truth in love? And to me, Tom, it made me just think of it, you know, do, do I know my intent? Did I go in with a pure intent, but it does take, I mean, to do that well takes, I think a level of self-awareness of knowing ourselves, knowing, uh, you know, knowing ourselves and knowing, okay, is my intent good? Do I have confidence? And if I can do that, uh, and then, you know, to, but you know, to his question, I, I do want to hit that. Do Why do I care so much about how or what people think of me? I, I don't think there's anybody outside of a psychopath who doesn't care to some extent what other people think of them. I mean, that, again, it's human nature and it's what drives right. us, I think, to good things, um, to care what people, but do I let that say what I am, say who I am? So again, going back to that, I've had to, Tom, I mean, I'm a guy who obviously just like you have got a stage and, and we go up and we talk and man, I want people, I do care what they what they think of me, but I've got to have that level of self-worth on the back burner to know, man, I went in, I did go in with good intent. And there've been times when I got pot shots thrown at me and I go, I would look back and go, you know, I, I it wasn't that I, I don't think I ever went to a place without, without good intent, but sometimes I hadn't prepared. And sometimes I was speaking and I was trying to fill myself. I was, I would, I had the crowd there for me. I mean, it, it, it's there and that's where we, Kind of, kind of back, coming back to, you know, renew my mind daily, if not minute by minute. God, please give me your spirit within me. You know, it, it takes some maturity, yeah. some, yeah. Um, I don't know what you call it. Experience, um, practice. Yeah. And this is where dad was. Uh, when, when something like, let's just say a sales presentation, we didn't get the sale. He would be disappointed more that they weren't going to get the benefit yeah. than either in himself or they said no. He, he never really worried about, God, I put so much time into that, and they said no. <laughs> he was like, man, I, I built that so that they would be the ones who benefited the most, and they're missing that. And that would be his, you know, that would be his disappointment. Yeah. And so that just goes to motive. Yep. Well, uh, incredible sharing from everyone. Uh, it's worth a part two recording on that one, I think. This is kind of Ziggler 101, I think. Tom, thanks for your sharing, man. It was great just to hear the stories. I learned new things about, uh, about your dad, about Zig, about you, 
and about the stories that make the Ziggler legacy what it is. Uh, always an honor. Thank you, brother. All right, thanks. And I want to show something to yeah. our podcast. Uh, podcast, you won't see this, but our Facebook audience will see this. This is you looking at us, looking at you. So <laughs> I've just been wanting to do that the whole time. That's so funny. <laughs> Well, friends, I trust that along with all the value in that show right there, you also realize you got a master's degree and a lot of what really matters to people and probably some clarity and conviction on where you want to pursue more growth in your own life. Thanks again for all those who share just so open, openly and vulnerably and brilliantly. Well, coming up in episode 793, how to win Shark Tank with a sales pro. Uh, if you have a business or are thinking of starting one, here's a show you're going to want to get equipped by. It's going to give you a filter to structure your business around. So I brought on Pierce Mars. He's a true sales professional. He started his career at age 19 and now at age 56 has done over $250 million in sales. He's a student of what Zig would call the right way to sell with morals and ethics and putting others needs first. But as you're going to hear, uh, it's not just the right thing to do, but the most profitable. So we start the show talking really just pure sales is really great. And Pierce, uh, he does more than that though. He's owned several successful small businesses. He's a renowned business coach. And for almost 10 years, he's hosted the Shark Tank podcast, the Shark Tank fan podcast. And from so closely auditing every episode, he's written a book, Could You Survive Shark Tank? And we spend the second half of the show discussing the focus of the book, which is seven key questions Pierce realized are almost always asked by the sharks to every participant. As we say in the show, this is for anyone in business, regardless of whether you need an investor or outside money. That's not the point. It's just a really, really valuable filter to audit your business or idea again. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 